This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Here you go. Here you go. Tender. Nothing personal. Word of the day is tender. I want to say as in tendering contracts in Major League Baseball, Coco wants to say as in chicken tenders. He wanted me to talk about the concept of chicken tender tenders and how we price them. It's actually pretty funny, Coca. If you want to really start the show with chicken tenders, chicken tenders are a high profit item at ballparks. The way they're delivered to the ballpark would make you not want to eat chicken tenders, but then the way they're fried up in that vat of oil would then make you want to eat them again. But then you'd learn how chicken tenders are made and then you may not want to eat them. And then you learn what part of the chicken they are, and you may not want to eat them. And then you'd realize what we charge you to eat them, and you'd say, you know what? I might as well go catch a chicken, a wild chicken, snap its head off like you're on Survivor, and then cook up a tender. It's tender. (laughs) Chicken tenders. I'm not a chicken tender guy. You know, when you work, Coca, this is this is true. When you work in sports and you work in a ballpark, you can't eat ballpark food. And it's not that the concessionaires don't try because they do. And it's not that the really good concessions on the suite level or for the team president, it's not that they're not trying to be good because they are. But what they don't count on is that every year I'm going to do a meeting with the concessionaire, go through tastings, go through processes, and actually take the time during the course of a game to go into the concession stands, see who's working, see how they're working. And I'm not impugning the chefs who work for Levy. Levy is a concessionaire. The chefs are very talented. It's not easy to cook for 7,000 people. Forget the fact when there's 30,000 people or 60,000 people. How about just the nice, intimate crowd of 7,000 people at a Marlins game sometimes or at a basketball game when there's 12,000 or 13,000? You have to cook in bulk. You have to pre-cook. Do you know how all the popcorn gets to you? It comes in huge bags, huge plastic bags. I don't mean like regular-sized garbage bags. I'm talking like garbage for the Jolly Green Giant after he eats prunes that type of size bag and they stuff it with made popcorn and then they deliver it like garbage being delivered to each concession stand and it stays in the back and then it gets packaged. 
with in, in those cardboard popcorn packages and then brought to the front, made as though to look as though it's totally fresh and made that minute, but it's not. And then we charge 10 bucks for popcorn. That's why, by the way, we are on a separate side note, Coca, you're the reason why we don't want you to bring food into the ballpark has nothing to do with security. It has nothing to do with all the stuff that we say that we need to check. Everything's got to be safe and we're worried about terrorism. No, we want you to eat our overpriced, overmargined food. You know that. Tender. MLB has a tender day. Tender is a funny word. Chicken tender is a funnier word. Every year at this time, there is a big game of chicken going on between players, agents, and front offices. The game is called chicken because here's how the conversations go. Teams can either be a file to go or a file to cave. Sorry to clear my throat there. Let me, let me do that again, Coca. 68, 69, go. Teams can either be file to go or file to cave. The tender date, which is today, December 2nd at 8 p.m., is the deadline by which a team has to offer a contract to a player on its team who is either not signed to a multi-year deal or does not have an already existing contract with under six years of service. What does that mean? So let's say last year I signed a player who was a second-year player, but that player had a deal that was signed for two years. Those are two years that you'd be eligible for arbitration. That means that player's salary is set. You know what, Coke? I got an even easier way to say it. This show's live, and that's how it goes. You tender a contract to a player, who you do not have an agreed upon salary with. If you do not tender a contract to a player by tonight at eight o'clock, that player becomes an unrestricted free agent as though that player had been in the league for six years. So you can be a player who's three years into his major league um, uh, career. And that's when you're first eligible for arbitration. If the team believes that that player will be too expensive, that player becomes non-tendered. And then that player can sign with any team for any amount of money. But in the real world, you do not get non-tendered and then sign a deal for more money. Because if a team values you at what your quote unquote arbitration number is, then you will be tendered a contract. So what's an arbitration number? To rewind and to reiterate something that we talked about on Nothing Personal before, When you first get to the big leagues, the team has the right to unilaterally impose a salary upon a player for his first three years. There is a minimum that the player has to make. And let's say the minimum, it started when I was in the game at like 150 grand. Now it's 600 grand. So you've got to pay every player at least $600,000 per year. But for the first three years, you get to decide what that player makes and the player can say nothing. He has no rights. He has no say. He has nothing. A few more details we can get into maybe on the So You Want to Talk to Samson or in a mailbag episode that a player can refuse his contract in the first three years. But that's just eyewash because the player has to take it. He just gets to go on record as saying that he was renewed by the team instead of agreeing to a contract. It means nothing. 
Okay. Once you're in the league for three years, you've got from three years to six years when you're arbitration eligible. An arbitration eligible player is the following. The team gets to say, we want to pay you $2 million. The player gets to say, I want to be paid $4 million. And if you don't have an agreement, then you go to arbitration where three arbitrators decide whether the player will get $2 million, which is what the team wanted to pay you, or $4 million, which is what the player wanted to be paid. They can't decide in the middle. They can't choose a number. You either get what the team wants to pay you or what the player wants to be paid. The arbitrators choose one or the other. So today is the deadline where players will be told either A, you have been non-tendered, you are now a free agent, go away, sign with another team. We may try to resign you, but it'll be for less than we would have had to have paid you in a room in arbitration. Now, you're saying to me because you're paying attention and you're listening to nothing personal all the way through, which by the way, I appreciate. You're saying to me, if you think the player's only worth a million dollars, why wouldn't you just go to arbitration and offer him the million dollars? And the reason is that when you are in the arbitration system, there are factors that are looked at by the arbitrators that would indicate what the pay of that player is going to be. And often the arbitration system values a player higher than team executives believe that player is worth. And that's the minimum number. So let's take an example. Gary Sanchez is a perfect example with the New York Yankees. Gary Sanchez is the starting catcher, the guy who didn't play in the playoffs, except a couple times. He lost his job. He was not Garrett Cole's personal catcher. Gary Sanchez used to hit home runs, used to be pretty good, actually. And then all of a sudden he became the strikeout king. Bat around 200, 220, 240. But in arbitration, his number this year, what's called a player's arbitration number, is around, let's say, $5.5 million. And the reason is that Gary Sanchez, if tendered a contract by the Yankees by tonight at 8 o'clock, would go into the arbitration room and he would get to say, here are my numbers my entire career. Forget the fact that I struck out a thousand times. Forget the fact that I hit 200. Forget the fact that I didn't play in the playoffs. Arbitration looks at the totality of my career and the minimum I would get paid in arbitration is 5.2. The maximum I would get paid is 5.8. The Yankees know it. Sanchez knows it. If the Yankees non-tender Gary Sanchez, they are then believing that either they should re-sign him because he's not worth between 5'2 and 5'8, or he'll go to another team. In normal years, it would not be much of a decision. You don't want to lose Gary Sanchez, no matter how poorly he played in 2020. You could argue that it was COVID-related. You could argue it was a strange season. You don't want to use the 2020 season as a reason to non-tender a player. But when you're trying to lower payroll, which every single team in baseball is doing except for the New York Mets, when you are trying to lower payroll, this is the easiest way to do it. You call up Gary Sanchez's agent and you start to play the game of chicken. And you say, listen, we will settle right now your arbitration case 
at $4 million. If you think that you are going to go into the arbitration system and get 5-2 to 5-8, you're out of your mind. We're going to non-tender you. If you think that you are going to be non-tendered and then get more than $4 million from another team, be my guest, say no to our $4 million, and be on your way and sign with someone else. That's the game of chicken you play with your players in order to try to get their payroll down, their salary down, and your payroll down. How do you lose a game of chicken? You lose a game of chicken when you tell a player like Gary Sanchez, we are not going to tender you. Take this $4 million or become a free agent. Then tonight at 8 o'clock, the list is submitted to Major League Baseball, and on the Yankees list is none other than Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez and his agent look at each other. The agent talks to the union. The union talks to the other agents. And from then on, every single player and agent negotiating with Brian Cashman, the New York Yankees, will know that he is full of crap when he threatens a non-tender. If you're going to threaten a non-tender to a player and you say it in a way that is binary, you take this or you are non-tendered, then you better follow through. Or for the rest of time, you will not be able to reclaim your negotiating leverage that you have under the collective bargaining agreement as it relates to your negotiating with players. What happens when your owner has a different view of arbitration than you do. Okay, that's another story I've told. And that's the story of how the Marlins became a file-to-go team. A file-to-go team means that once we tender you a contract, we will then negotiate up until another deadline, which comes later this month. It may come in January, actually, now. And that is the deadline for the exchange of numbers. Do you remember I told you that Sanchez 5-2 for the team, 5-8 for the player? Those numbers get solidified at a later date where you actually tell the player what you're going to go to arbitration and ask for to pay the player. The player tells the team what he's going to go to arbitration and ask the arbitrators to get paid for by the team. You exchange numbers. When you tell a team that you are going to arbitration if you're a player and you tell a player that you're going to arbitration as a team and then you get to the point where you exchange numbers. A file-to-go team will not negotiate with a player after those numbers have been exchanged. If you violate that and you say that you're not going to negotiate and then you settle in arbitration, you lose leverage. Today, before the tender date, we were our most busy running the Marlins and running the Expos because we went to every player eligible for arbitration and we said, you settle at this number or we will not tender you. Sometimes we would not go all the way. So when I say we said it to players, we wouldn't do it to every one of the players. We would have a timeline of leverage. It's actually interesting, Coca. We would write down every player who was eligible for arbitration And we would write down what our chicken tender point was. How long will we play chicken with that player before getting him signed? Do we care if that player does not sign? 
do we want that player to sign and then everything in between? So what all teams are doing now is the GM is meeting with agents on the phone. The GM is then talking to the president of baseball operations, the president of the team and the owner, and they are giving reports throughout the day of who they're going to tender and who they are not going to tender. So now you're asking yourself a pretty good question. How does a GM decide who is going to be tendered on a day like today? Well, there's one piece of information a GM has to have, and the issue this season and why today is the most interesting day of the offseason is that the most important question for a GM to have is what the payroll is going to be. If your owner has not told you or your president has not told you what your payroll is supposed to be and will be, then how can you build your roster? If Hal Steinbrenner has not told Brian Cashman what his payroll is, how does Brian Cashman know that allocating $5.5 million to Gary Sanchez makes sense? Let's take another team, the New York Mets. Steve Cohn comes in, new owner, payroll going up. But what's the number? Sandy Alderson has a interesting arbitration case in Steven Matz. Steven Matz is a pitcher for them who's due to make around $5 million. Steven Matz is not worth $5 million. There are GMs who will say he is because you can't find pitching and Steven Matz starts 30 games a year. That's good if you're a team that is not interested in the playoffs. We used to say the following sometimes when we knew that we didn't have a chance, even though we wanted to pretend we'd have a chance. We told our fans we had a chance. We told our corporate sponsors we had a chance. We told our players we had a chance. We told everyone we had a chance. What we would do is we would say, all right, what is the cost of pitching for a team that doesn't have a chance? And do we want a number five starter making five million or a number five starter unproven minimum making 500 grand? The answer is when you have a chance, you want that number five starter to make the $5 million. When you don't have a chance, you want that five starter to make half a million dollars. You don't want to take the chance, no matter what size your payroll is. So when you look at the list of non-tendered players today, we will have a very good idea what teams are thinking in terms of their payroll, what teams are, th are thinking in terms of their likelihood of success this season, and what teams are thinking vis-a-vis -vis individual players. If the New York Mets non-tender Steve Matz, it will be an absolute surprise to me because Sandy Alderson is saying to Steve Cohn today, listen, he's terrible. But we can't really replace that with anything better for under $5 million because I'm too lazy to have my scouts and development people find a nugget in the rough that I can go to you and say that let's take a chance on this guy at 500000 He may win 10 or 12 games for us next season. You want the guy who you know is starting 30 games, who you know is going to have a five ERA, you know is going to be a typical fifth, sixth, or seventh starter, and it's worth it for the five million because our payroll is going to be 200 million. The majority of teams don't want to do that. Then a team in the middle, like the Chicago White Sox, has a player named Carlos Rodon, former very, very high, high pick, big pedigree. He's due to make four and a half million dollars. He's not worth it at all, but the White Sox are trying to win. So they're going to pretend that he's worth it and they're going to tender him. But then you've got a team like the Philadelphia Phillies who have a pitcher named Vince Velasquez, another pitcher named, oh God, Coca. 
who's the guy on Philly last name Neris? Is it Hector Neris? I want to say Hector, but there's a chance I'm wrong. But let's just pretend it's Hector Neris. The Phillies are not likely to compete no matter what John Middleton says. And for them, tendering a guy like Hector Neris probably doesn't make sense. But if you're an owner who may have some delusion about your ability to compete because you've got Bryce Harper and because you've got Aaron Nola on your team, et cetera, Andrew McCutcheon is still overpaid on your team, you may say, hey, let's make sure we don't lose Hector Neris. But then you're telling your GM that our payroll is going to be 200 million or 150 million or 120 million. And the GM says to you, we don't have room for a guy like Vince Velasquez or Hector Neris or Gary Sanchez or Steven Matz or Carlos Rodon. And then the owner gets to decide, no, no, let's make room for him. All of those discussions are going on right now. They will all end by 8 p.m. tonight. We will talk about what happened on tomorrow's show. We had a wait to see that there will be a record number of non-tenders this year. Last year, there were 53 players non-tendered, which was a record. The year before, there were 41 players non-tendered. I think the number will be well more than 53. There will be a great number of players available as free agents starting tonight at 8.01. And that will start to clear the logjam because there have been so few free agent signings to date right now. One free agent off the board, shocking. The Mets signed another bullpen arm. What's the expression? You can bring the kid out of New York, but you can't bring the New York out of the kid. I think that's an expression, Coco, but I can't remember. Anyway, do you know how the New York Mets keep signing bullpen arms? They traded for Edwin Diaz, that ill-fated trade that their erstwhile GM who's now fired did. He's back to being an agent, I guess. Although I don't know that for sure, but I assume Brody Van Wagner don't want to be an agent again because he sure as hell isn't going to be a GM again. And they signed Familia. They signed Batonsis. They have all these relievers signed to these deals, right? Well, yesterday, the Mets signed Trevor May to a two-year, $15 million deal. Trevor May is a really good reliever who's on the Minnesota Twins. I would argue he's one of the top five relievers you've never heard of. One of the top five best relievers you've never heard of is Trevor May. Now, why is Trevor May being signed by the Mets when they've got starting pitching issues, even though Stroman is on that team, even though DeGrom is on that team, they've got major starting pitching issues. They've got lineup issues unless Alonzo can, can rebound from his sophomore slump. They're a bullpen, yeah, mediocre as well. But why pay Trevor May $7.5 million? Here's why. When you're a new owner, you have the affliction that we've talked about called new owner-itis. What new owners do is they come in, and we did this, I did this, starting in 2000 with the Montreal Expos, walked in, talked to Jeffrey. Jeffrey, what's your view of the Expos team? He said, listen, they've got a closer, but the eighth inning kept screwing the Expos in the 1999 season. The best eighth inning reliever is Graham Lloyd. Let's overpay him. Let's get him on the team so we can say to our fans that not only is payroll going up, but that we are trying to address a weakness of the team. Makes sense. Overpay Graham Lloyd. Not, by the way, overpaying in those days was $3 million a year for three years, of which we deferred three of the million, might I add. We paid him $2 million in 2000, $2 million in 2001, $2 million in 2002, and then he had $3 million that was deferred. 
that was back when deferrals were happening nonstop because, hey, if you only paid him $2 million, that means that's only $2 million toward your payroll. Makes sense, right? So what Steve Cohn came in and said is, man, our bullpen, we blew all those saves. Our middle relievers back into the bullpen. We couldn't count on them. Let's do something about that right now. It's only seven and a half million bucks and we can assuage some of our fans because I know they want Real Mudo. They want Springer. They want Bauer, but let's show them that we are a front office who understands what it is to build a winner. And we understand that we had bullpen issues and we are going to address it right now. It's not sexy, but it's going to lead to wins. That is a form of new owner-itis. It's not the top-level form. The top-level form is when George Springer says that I've got 15 years from the Astros. If you want me, you got to give me 15 years. That would be true new owner-itis, where you give in to a player when you have no inkling that anyone is even close to bidding what you're about to offer. Remember when Alex Rodriguez was signed A-Rod was signed by the Texas Rangers. I want to say Coke, it was uh, $225 million back in those days, which was the biggest deal ever. And the Rangers, Tom Hicks said, we did that because we were going to be outbid by the Atlanta Braves. Do you remember that? Meanwhile, the Atlanta Braves were about 70 million below that number. But Scott Boris, who was his agent at the time, was able to convince the new owner, Itis, you have to have him. This guy is a franchise difference maker. You will get a World Series ring. Do the Texas Rangers have a World Series with A-Rod? I can't remember. Hold on. No. So what Boris is doing and what Springer and what other top free agents are doing is really the same thing. They are trying to get a new owner to overpay. And I think Steve Cohen's going to do it. You know that. But the Trevor May signing is actually an interesting signing for the Mets. It is depressing for the Minnesota Twins to lose him. It is depressing for the rest of the National League East that the Mets can sign someone like a Trevor May and give him $15 million for two. That is an overpay, even though he is a solid, solid reliever. A-Rod was 252, Coca. Of course he was. Thank you. That was the deal. 252 for, was it 252 for 10? When he signed with Texas way back, this is pre-Yankees. This is, he was traded, remember, by the Rangers. Anyway, moving on. All right, so the Mets did it. Signed Trevor May. We've got the chicken tender deadline. There's a game of chicken going on. It's a pretty exciting day in baseball. But here's what's not too exciting, Coca. Talk to me. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Sam. Thank you. So you want to talk to Samson. That's when you get into my Twitter at David P. Samson, get into Instagram at David P. Samson, though I can't figure out how to get to the questions that you get to me in Instagram. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, this time I mean it. I'm going to learn how to do that. But if you're on Twitter, you can go into my public DMs, ask a question. We do an end of month mailbag, mailbag bonus episode, and that's general questions, specific questions. Sometimes I address on a show. I try to get to as many as I can. Someone asked a question worried about COVID and the impact COVID will have on the upcoming NBA and MLB season. And this is the perfect day to address it. There's a lot going on in the world outside of sports today. Obviously, we had the election on November 3rd. There's a transition of power taking place. And there is a bumpy transition where the current president is still 
questioning the election, questioning the results. The supporters are not standing down. They are threatening electors. They are threatening those in states who are still counting votes. It's it's a joke, actually. You got to learn how to lose if you're going to ever win. And you have to be a leader when you have been elected to be a leader. And what is critical right now is for all senators, the president, everybody to understand that we need during this time of COVID, during this time of uncertainty, during this time of time of transition, we've got to have leadership telling these absolute fringe, violent barbarians to stand down. Do you think it's appropriate to give death threats to people? Forget the fact that I got death threats because I couldn't run a sports team. All right, I get it. Death threats to volunteers who are counting votes or death threats to people who are trying to move a democracy forward, which is so much more important than who's president. I don't care if you're a Biden guy or a Trump guy or I don't care who you are. None of it matters other than the fact that we are a democratic republic and other than the fact that we have always got to promote and preserve our democracy. And don't give me your bull crap about your First Amendment rights to give death threats to people and to be violent. Please don't do that. And don't tell me your Second Amendment right means that you can shoot people. Please, please. Okay. Today, there was an article where the timeline, if you will, for the new COVID-19 vaccine was discussed, explained. The timeline is the following. We're not in the UK where they're going to start distributing the Pfizer vaccination next week. We are in America. It's already been a rush, but you know what? I don't want to be first to get the vaccine. And the good news is I'm 52 years old. I'm last to get the vaccine. 52 and healthy is not where you want to be. You don't want to be 17 and healthy because you're not going to get it at all. If you live in a nursing home or you work in a nursing home or you are a healthcare provider, you're first. That means it's coming this month. Now, the Pfizer vaccine, it comes in two doses, 21 days apart. But you're getting it this month with your second dose next month, January. Second group of people, educators, emergency responders. There was a list of people. I was looking very carefully for LeBron James or Bryce Harper. Didn't find him. David Sampson, didn't find him. Matthew Coca, didn't find him. Okay. Third group. Then you get to Adults over 65 and adults under 65 over 18 who have pre-existing conditions that would make getting COVID suck. You're fat. You have diabetes. You've got compromised lungs. You've had cancer. All of the things that are bad. If you get COVID, you're up in the three hole. Then come the summer April, May, late spring, here comes Samson and Coca. Then everybody's vaccinated. Hold on. Where are the players in that? Are any players Coca over 65? No, that'd be Popovich, the coach. Okay, no, they're not. 
pre-existing conditions, some of them do. They'd get to go in the second wave or third wave. No, no, I don't see anything. Is this how it's going to work, do you think? Do you think that rich people between the age of 18 and 65 or people in big business are going to wait for the third or fourth round of the vaccination? Or do you think that they will pay triple and get vaccinated early? Now, here's where it gets interesting. Major League Baseball and the National Basketball Association were very clear during the time of COVID when testing and getting players tested was a big deal. They were very clear to say from a PR standpoint, we are not going to take tests away from people who need it worse than we do. That was their PR line. Did it happen? Do you believe that all the testing the NFL is doing and that baseball did during its season and basketball did in its bubble? Do you believe for one minute that those were tests that were not taken from people who needed it? Because it's not true. There are stories in every state in our union of people who needed tests where tests were not available. Tests were not widely available where anyone could get a test at any time, no matter what. No. Sports could have made free testing available and not taken the test, but they felt that they had a business reason and an emotional reason to keep the country happy to use tests. They'll tell you otherwise, but that's the fact. Now let's talk about vaccines. Do you think that there will be anything other than a statement from the NBA and MLB, which will say the following. We want our players vaccinated. We want them to be safe and their families to be safe, but we will not ever take a dose of a vaccine that was earmarked, and here's the important word, that was earmarked for a healthcare worker, for a frontline worker, for an emergency responder, for a teacher, for a fireman, for a police officer. We will never take a vaccine away from someone over 65, from someone with pre-existing conditions. They will list all of the people who are in line in front of them. And then miraculously, the players will get vaccinated because they will then say, Everybody wants a vaccine, gets a vaccine. We're next. This is exactly the appropriate time. Except for the fact that until early spring, there will not be enough vaccines produced to vaccinate everyone in those categories who needs to be vaccinated. It's simply a numbers game. So what will the sports leagues do? You ask a good question. Here's what they'll do they will delay their season. Let's start with the NBA. The NBA wants to start December 22nd. Training camp started December 1st. There are no, yesterday, the Warriors couldn't train because they had two positive tests upon intake. But the NBA is pressing forward with training camp, pressing forward with regular season starting December 22nd, pressing forward with that Christmas slate that they just released It's like all-day games on Christmas. It's like Christmas in July, except it's actually December. 
Actually, last July, we did have Christmas because there were all those games. Anyway, I digress. So the NBA is saying that they are willing to go forward without being vaccinated. Okay. That means they are going to be subject to the same issues that the NFL is currently having, where when you don't bubble, when you don't have a vaccination, and all you have is testing, you are running the risk of having players unavailable to play. And when you're not Roger Goodell and you're making the Ravens play today, December 2nd at 3.40 in the afternoon with 20 people on the COVID list, and you're a basketball team that only has 15 active players, if four of them can't play and four of them are starters and they miss three or four games in a week, you're only playing 72 games in a season, all of a sudden that team could be in jeopardy of not playing in the playoffs. I'm not making this up. I am channeling Doc Rivers, the coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, who yesterday came out and explained what problems he saw coming down the road with the NBA season. He is so worried about his new team and the fact that he doesn't have time during this short preseason to get his system in. He doesn't have time to fully make sure that his team will be ready to play come game one of the regular season. And Doc Rivers is not an excuse guy. Trust me, he's the opposite of an excuse guy. But Doc Rivers is saying, I'm worried about how it's going to work if we've got four or five players missing. So the NBA is paying attention to that. And the only way to avoid that is to get the players vaccinated. And you cannot get them vaccinated before the early part of 21 at best, but more likely into the winter months, February, March, April of 21. And that's already starting to be playoff time in a regular NBA season, even though this one will have 72 games. Okay. The NBA will be impacted. What about MLB? Houston, we have a problem. And the problem we have in MLB is that if you think that they're going to start spring training on February 15th and then start the regular season on April 1st, you've got another thing coming. Not going to happen. There is no way that MLB will start on time. And the reason is that until they can have fans in the stands, until the players and fans can be vaccinated, until they can have more than 25% capacity, right now there's no one allowed in the stands. Until you can have that, MLB is going to say to the players union, we're not starting. The players union are going to say to to MLB and to the commissioner, play however many games you want, but just pay us for 162. There are going to be labor issues in MLB again, and we haven't even gotten to the collective bargaining agreement. There's going to be labor issues again in the NBA, even though they claim to have an agreement in place for the upcoming regular season. We are just beginning the issues. But let's pay close attention to how the vaccines are distributed. Let's pay attention to how the vaccines are taken and who gets them and when, and that will inform all of us when normalcy on the court and off the court will continue. We'll be right back with a review of a show that Coca told me to watch, and it was good. And don't worry, we'll have a pick of the day. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thanks for getting through those commercials. I hope you're still here because we're reviewing a great show. Please download, subscribe, tell your friends about Nothing Personal. We're a fun show here every day, 45 minutes. We will tell you what's trending, give you our opinion of things that are happening, have some fun, and review a movie or a TV show every day. I take suggestions from the listeners. I love it. I had someone tell me to watch a movie called Set It Up. I watched it last night. I'll review it sometime this week or next week. But what I finished watching the other day was a series that Coca told me to watch. It's called Wayne with Mark McKenna and Sierra Bravo. It is a show that was on YouTube that got canceled, got picked up by Amazon. It's one season only, 10 episodes, 30 minutes each, five hours of mayhem and perfection. Mark McKenna is the guy from Sing Street, not the lead in Sing Street, but an actor in Sing Street. Sierra Bravo is an actress who should get Emmy consideration. Never heard of her. Never seen her. She is incredibly talented. Here's what the show's about. It's about a 16-year-old boy named Wayne and the fact that he believes that his goal in life is to right every wrong. If he sees a husband being violent with his wife on the street, he will beat the crap out of the husband. If he sees an employer take advantage of employees and not pay them correctly, he will drive his point home with the employer. If he sees a father being abusive to a kid, he will make sure that father doesn't even smell abuse going forward. It is done in a way that will keep you interested. Your mouth will be open the entire time, either because you will be smiling, laughing, or your mouth will be ajar because you will not believe what you have just witnessed. It's not that it's gory, but it's violent. It's not that it's violent in a way that will scare you because it's not scary. It is a piece de resistance by these young actors in how to get you to feel something for people who have never caught a break. And it will give you a level of empathy that I had not been able to approach ever. That's how much I fell in love with Wayne and Dell, his Bonnie. That's a Bonnie and Clyde reference, by the way. Coca. I don't know if you know who that is. The other characters in Wayne are character actors. <clears throat> Look out for the guy who plays the sheriff. One of the great performances I've seen in a show. Wayne has not been picked up for a second season, and for the life of me, I don't know why. It is perfectly positioned for a second season. It is entertaining to the point of night sweats. Please, you know I'll tell you when something's not good. I review plenty of things. I tell you, don't bother watching it. But Wayne is something you must watch. Thank you, Coco, for that. You are really good at recommending things for me. Okay, nothing personal pick of the day. We're 35 and 31. Remember, we had the uh, Seahawks pushing the Eagles. We didn't get to talk about the Eagles game, and I got to talk about it right now before I give you the pick of the day. Sorry. Did you watch that game with Carson Wentz being taken out of the game and Jalen Hurts being put in the game and then Carson Wentz being put back in the game and then Jalen Hurts being taken out of the game? Did you watch that? The coach is Doug Peterson, the guy who coached the 
Eagles to a Super Bowl victory in 2018, in February of 18. The guy who had Carson Wentz as his quarterback, who was really, really good. And then Nick Foles won the Super Bowl because Carson Wentz got hurt. And then they signed Carson Wentz to a contract, a four-year, $128 million contract after the 2018 season when he wasn't even the quarterback during the Super Bowl or the playoffs. And now Carson Wentz has fallen off a cliff in a way that means that Doug Peterson either forgot how to coach. Doug Peterson never knew how to coach. The evaluators didn't realize that Carson Wentz was not good to begin with. And the beginning of his career, when he was being favorably compared to Dak Prescott, everybody was wrong. In sports, that happens. The world of sports is littered with players who started off as rookie of the year, who started off with two or three years of a great career and ended off ended up being crappy. But the Eagles are married to Carson Wentz, or are they? Doug Peterson is not going to find out. Doug Peterson is not going to survive this season with the Philadelphia Eagles. He'll coach the rest of the season, but his coaching tenure is going to come to an end because Jeffrey Lurie, not Jeffrey Lurie, Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the Eagles, is so disgusted with his team, so despondent with the results of his team and the contracts that he signed that he is going to blame Doug Peterson. You wait and see. It's not my official wait to see. Coco, let's do my official wait to see. My official wait to see is that there will not be any more in-season firings in the NFL. We saw that the Lions fired their GM and coach during Thanksgiving. Remember, that's Matt Patricia, the Bill Belichick guy. The Jaguars fired their GM recently during the Thanksgiving break. No more GMs are going to be fired. No more coaches are going to be fired. We're too close to the end of the season. No more in-season firings. Wait to see. That's when I tell you something's going to happen. If it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But either way, I'm going to revisit it. Okay, my pick of the day is today is Wednesday, I think. And I don't know what day it is because there's a football game. If you're listening to this after 3.40 p.m., then this game will have started and you can't bet it. But the Steelers are finally playing the Ravens, the COVID-ravaged Ravens, the team that was not going to play. They were going to do a mutiny because they didn't have enough practice. And so NFL said, you know what? We'll postpone your game till Wednesday because we want to give you enough time to practice because we're worried about muscle strains. That's the NFL covering up because they want to make sure the Steelers get the game in. The Steelers are favored by 10 points. This is a sucker bet if there ever was one. How could the Steelers only be favored by 10 points when they're playing the Ravens? who don't have anybody. They don't have the reigning MVP, Lamar Jackson. They've got 18 players on their COVID-restricted list. They're putting out their team of Cocas and Samsons. This is a give-me pick, which is why you're supposed to take the Ravens plus 10. But I'm not going to take the Ravens plus 10 because I want to win because I want to get to 36 and 31. So I'm going to tell you that I think the Ravens are going to cover, which is why we're going to take the Steelers minus 10. When it comes to a pick of the day, you've got to know that sometimes double reverse psychology is the way to go. Sometimes it's opposite day. When money is at stake, you better be right because it's business. Good luck, Ravens, today at 3.40 p.m. against the Steelers. I'm Roger Goodell, and it's nothing personal. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.